Well, hey, we've been looking in this series um, about how we are a divided world, and yet God has a plan to bring the people that he's created together. And it's hard to bring us together, right? We struggle sometimes to come together and stay together. There's a lot of forces that pull us apart and push us apart. And uh, it seems as though those forces just grow all the time. And yet in the middle of a crazy world, God has a plan to bring people that have put their trust in Jesus together to exemplify what he wants from us, his creation, what his plan was. And God's plan was that his creation would work together and get along together and really express the kind of love and unity that we see in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as I talked about last week, distinct persons, but one, so unified. And so this is the the image, the picture that really we see in the scriptures for us. And so in this series, we've been looking at the one another passages in scripture. These um, passages, about a hundred of them in the New Testament, 59 of them are really instructions to us about how we are to work this out. As God's people, those who have put our trust in him, how are we supposed to get along? How are we supposed to function together? And so these passages really address it in a variety of ways. We've looked at how we belong to each other in the first week. The, the metaphor of the body is used to describe the relationship that we really belong to each other. We're connected in the same way our bodies have many different parts, but we're all together. And if my uh, big toe is hurting, right, my whole body feels it. <laughs> um, and so there's a connection that we have. We belong to each other. This is the kind of relationship we're supposed to have. Last week we looked at how we're to love each other, or excuse me, Mother's Day weekend. We looked at how we're supposed to love each other. And the definition of that love is not just feelings related, but it really has to do with actions that we um, commit to each other and that we show to each other. And then um, last week we looked at how we need each other to grow. That spiritual maturity and growth is what God has for us as followers of Jesus. And so we really need one another to grow. This week we want to focus in on the fact that as God's people, a part of his church, we are, so, we are um, together to support each other. Support each other. What kind of support are we supposed to provide for each other? What's the nature of that support? How do we define it? Because support could come in a lot of different ways. Um, The prospective father-in-law asked a young man, can you support a family? The surprised groom-to-be replied, well, no, I was just planning to support your daughter. The rest of you are on your own. (laughs) Right? Um, What does support look like? What are we called to do in relationship to each other? Well, it's important we understand it from the scriptures. Financial support might be part of it. We certainly see that in James. If you see your brother or sister in need, you need to do something to help them. And that might involve some financial support. But really, there's a lot deeper support that we are to provide for each other. If we're going to grow as people, we need support. Can we all agree that choosing to follow Jesus is not the easiest path in life? Can we agree to that? It's not the easiest in, in many ways, it's much harder than, than the rest of the world takes in their pursuit of this life. And yet we've been called by God. We belong to him. We've been bought with a price. And so because we belong to him, we set out to follow him, to be the people he wants us to be, 
that he really created us to be. And it's so rewarding, it's so wonderful, it's amazing, but it's difficult. And if we're gonna accomplish this mission, if we're gonna live this life the way he wants us to, we're gonna need the support that we need uh, to provide for each other. The first principle in, the, in this um, concept, this principle of support that we're gonna look at today, the first aspect of that we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And 1 Corinthians 12 is the context that, that uh, again, is being talked about here, is this metaphor of a body and how we are connected and we belong to each other. And in the nature of the body, what the Apostle Paul is going to point out here, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing the words of God to us, he's going to say, here's how the body works. The body works as we value each other, we will then care for each other. And so if we understand the teachings in Scripture and we apply them to our lives, we learn that in the church, we support each other as we care for each other by valuing everyone. Follow along as we read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 22. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. Key verse, this makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. The nature of the body, the way God has designed things. And again, Paul using this metaphor of our physical bodies to help us understand. There's parts that we protect. There's parts we cover up. There's parts that we don't want everyone to see, right? Those parts, however, have value and oftentimes have greater importance to our functioning as human beings. Um, I can live without an arm, okay? But there's other parts of my body I can't live without. I won't be able to make it. My body won't be able to function. And so it's important that as we view each other, we gain this perspective that God has of us. See, on our own, we tend to be a little critical of each other. We tend to see uh, certain individuals and say, wow, there's something wrong with them. They're not normal. They're not the same as everyone else. And because of that, we tend to devalue. This is the nature of uh, our, um, our natures, right? It's how we operate too often. And what we've got to do is learn to see others the way God sees them. What God is trying to do is help instruct us on the value he places on each and every person that's a part or that he's created. God has created all of us, and he values us all the same. Highly, very significant to him. Uh, to God, there is no waste of human life. There's no one that doesn't matter. There's no one that, that isn't important. And we have to grow to see people the way God does. In a meeting of the American Psychological Association, Jack Lipton, a psychologist at Union Station, and uh, R. Scott Bullion, a graduate student at Columbia University, presented their findings on how members of various sections of 11 major symphony orchestras 
perceived each other. All these symphony orchestras, highly qualified people, very um, uh, um, excellent in their craft. How do the different sections in the orchestra see each other? Okay, so the per- percussionists, um, that's the drummers, right? Like Anthony, among other things. <laughs> the percussionists were viewed as insensitive, untel- unintelligent, and hard of hearing, yet fun-loving. Hmm. String players were seen as arrogant, stuffy, and unathletic. <laughs> the orchestra members overwhelmingly chose loud as the primary adjective to describe the brass players. Woodwind players seem to be held in the highest esteem, of course, described as quiet, meticulous, though a bit egocentric. Uh, Interesting findings, to say the least. A wide variety of individuals with different talents, uh, different expertise, and of course with each one of those sections come different personalities. So how in the world does this diverse group with views of each other that aren't always complementary, how do they work together? How do they uh, create such amazing works of art, beautiful music? Well, the way they do it is they're not focused on each other as they play. They're focused on the conductor. And as they follow his lead, and each one of them does their part, beautiful music is created. We're a part of a church. We're a part of a diverse group of people. We often say that uh, we get together or we are put together with other people in the church that we may not choose to be around if it were our choice alone. But it's not our choice, it's God's choice. He has selected you and the person next to you and the person across the room from you. He has selected all of us to be a part of his church. We chose to put our trust in him, to put our faith in Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for us. And by doing so, we enter into God's family. And Jesus says, listen, you all need to reflect me. You need to love one another. You need to value each other. This will allow you to care for one another. We need to provide an environment that reflects the care that God has for us. That means I need to care about you and you need to care about them. And we need to see the value in one another. It can be a challenge. And yet what a wonderful challenge to take on. To value people at a higher level. To gain God's perspective of the world rather than our own. To see others the way God sees them. Can I tell you, that's going to lift you up as a person. That's going to positively impact your life. If you can walk around and see others the way God does instead of seeing them perhaps negatively or critically. It will change your outlook on life. Jesus is the head of the church. We are supposed to match up with him. I know you've seen some of those cutouts, uh, maybe a bodybuilder cutout with a hole, right? That you can stick your face in and take a picture and, uh, and go, yeah, this is what I look like. And everybody can tell that the face, your face in that cutout doesn't really match, right? If Jesus were to stick his face in the cutout that is our church, would it match? Would Jesus match us or would we match him? We are called to be a a people that sees others the way God does. We value one another. It creates harmony 
and we're able to care for each other. We need to keep moving in that direction, remembering that each and every one of us matters. And perhaps those that you might think don't matter as much, you need to be reminded, really, they matter more. The next way that we support each other is how we handle our faith. We're going to look next in the book of Galatians in chapter 5. And Galatians is a book written to a church that had responded to the gospel message. They had trusted in Jesus and had been taught that they were to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. There were instructions given to them as a Gentile group of people, not Jewish, not having grown up knowing the law. They were taught how to follow Jesus and how to live by the Spirit, to live at a higher level. But there had been some individuals come along behind the Apostle Paul and teach the church in Galatia that they need to follow the law. They need to do things like get circumcised and obey the the Mosaic law. And so the Apostle Paul writes back to them, frustrated, that they had so easily been fooled. They had so easily been influenced away from the freedom they had in following Jesus and living by the power of the Spirit to following some rules and regulations. And so what Paul is going to teach us when it comes to our relationships with one another is that we have freedom. But in that freedom, we should use that freedom to do more good than even following the law would lead us to. See, when we follow rules and restrictions, we can achieve a certain level of morality. But when we live by the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we can do even greater things, amazing things. In fact, what we're going to see in this passage, Galatians 5, is that we support each other as we serve each other. Follow along Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. Key verse, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. We've been set free from an obligation to follow the law to live by a set of rules and restrictions. Do not mistake that to mean that you can do anything you want, right? That's not what that means. Freedom means that I take more responsibility to keep my life on track, that I'm following God, I'm living according to his will, I'm living by the power of the Holy Spirit within me. Truly, to live by the power of the Holy Spirit with the awareness of God's presence in my life is to be convicted more of my sin, not less. It's not to run wild and free to do whatever I want and say, oh, yeah, I don't have to follow the law anymore. No, it's to live more a more focused life, a more powerful life of reflecting the character and the attitudes and behaviors that God wants us to have. And Paul reminds this group of Christians, you're not to use your freedom to justify sin. Use your freedom to serve each other in love. In other words, take on the greater challenge. Live to a higher level. Paul was addressing the struggle that many of us even face, the struggle to keep the rules versus chasing Jesus. 
How many times do you think of your Christian life in terms of what are the rules, what can I and can't I do? How often do you think of your Christian life in relationship to Jesus and the pursuit of a relationship with him? That you want to be more connected to Jesus? Or do you think, I've got to not do that, I've got to do that? How we think of our walk with God is going to affect the way we live our lives. And Paul says, listen, the nature of your faith is not a restrictive one. It's not rules-oriented, but it really is, in fact, the pursuit of God to become greater. And he says, serving one another in love is going to provide an environment of support that cannot be matched anywhere else in the world. In 1878, William Booth had um, begun the Salvation Army and it really had started to take off. It was beginning to gain prominence around the world. There were individuals that left the United States, crossed the Atlantic Ocean, right, and, and joined up with Booth's Salvation Army. One such individual was a young um, budding leader who had had experience, he'd been trained in ministry, and uh, he even dreamed of becoming a bishop in the church someday. And he took the trip across the Atlantic and he joined up and enlisted in the Salvation Army. His name was Samuel Brangle. He left a fine pastorate position to join the army. But William Booth, when he arrived, was skeptical. He said, you've got too much experience. You've already been in charge. You're not going to be willing to follow me. And so as a way of testing and challenging him, he gave him the job of shining the boots of many of the individuals who were in the army. So as Bringle sat there shining and polishing boots, he thought to himself, what have I done? <laughs> have I just pursued my own desires? Coming here to join this army, is it really just me that wanted to do it? What is happening? Why am I, uh, um, with all the experience I have and the desire to help and serve people, and here I am shining boots? In that moment, as though he had a vision, he saw Jesus bending over the feet of some rough, unlettered fishermen. Lord, he whispered, you wash their feet, I will shine these shoes. Serving is not our first thought as human beings. We tend to think that serving is a demotion. And yet Jesus, our Savior, in the last act of training and teaching his disciples, he took a towel, he got on his knees with a basin of water, and he served. And he said to them, hey guys, <laughs> um, you need to follow my example. I'm teaching you how to do the work that I've called you to do. If you act out of pride and self-promotion and selfishness, you'll not be able to get my work done. But if you can put down yourself, put away your pride, and take up the heart of a servant to help others, to look out for others, see, then you can do the amazing work of God. When we determine to take on the attitude and the posture of a servant, when we fight against our self-centeredness, our self-promotion, our selfish ambition, and we say, no, no, no. Okay, God, I could be motivated by those things, but I'm not going to. I'm going to take on the heart of a servant. I'm going to serve the people that you put around me. 
In this way, we really create an environment where everyone is supported, where everyone is encouraged. We help meet each other's needs. The next way that we support each other is to learn to pay attention to the needs of others. We support each other. We create an environment of support when we look out for each other. Philippians 2, one of the most famous chapters in all of Scripture, so powerful, teaches us this principle that we are to take an approach to life that, again, moves our focus off of ourselves and on to others. Philippians chapter 2, follow along as I start in verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Listen, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And here's the key verse. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And here's why. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not consider or think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, one of the most powerful passages where we learn and we're, in, uh, we're taught and we're really commanded to exemplify Jesus in what he truly did. Jesus didn't come to the earth to gain accolades and honor. He came quietly and humbly, as we know. And he really um, connected with people and, and encouraged people and healed people and, and transmitted to us who God really is, ultimately he served the human race by sacrificing himself, giving up his life in order to save yours and mine. We come to Jesus initially for what we need. Had a good friend years ago that said, everybody comes to Jesus selfish. <laughs> We're all self-motivated when we come to him. We need his forgiveness we need healing. We need restoration. We need, we need, we need. And we're needy people. But as we follow Jesus, he teaches us to take our focus off of ourselves and place it onto others. And so we gain humility. We become obedient to him. We have a conscientiousness to others. And we become more supportive of others as we follow him. The closer we get to Jesus, the more we grow in maturity, the more we gain the focus, not how is this going to affect me, right? If our church does this, how's it going to affect me? We think less that way. We start to think more, okay, if our church does this, how's it going to affect the other people that come? That's what it means to move into a leadership position. It means to think of others first and foremost and to put yourself second 
down the line. Not to um, be selfish motivated, but to be other centered. We ask in our church, how are what we're doing, how is that affecting other people? We look to be conscientious and aware of the needs of others. And as we move on in our progression, one of the things we do as we see the needs of others is we begin to honor each other. We look for ways to lift each other up. This honor really could be also described as respect. We're looking to show respect to others. Romans 12 gives us this directive, starting in verse 9. The Apostle Paul says, don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard. Serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. And when God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. This command, this passage really is tied to 1 Corinthians 13, which is called the love chapter, where love is described to us in an otherworldly kind of explanation and definition. We see love as it's to be played out amongst us, and it blows our minds. (laughs) That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is read at so many wedding ceremonies. It's so powerful. It's unstoppable. It shows us that the love of God can overcome anything and everything in the pursuit of you and me, our hearts and our souls. God's love is transformational. It's the most powerful thing in the world. Romans 12 gives us some insight to that same theme. We're called not to pretend, not to have a transactional relationship with other people, but really press into a sincerity of heart, a transformation in our hearts and minds where we genuinely care about the people around us. One of the ways that we grow at caring about others is taking delight in honoring each other, in showing respect. How do we do that? Listening to others shows respect. Not talking above others to get our point in and our thoughts across, but actually listening, giving them time to express themselves. It shows respect. How about considering another's viewpoint instead of just brushing aside and pushing on to yours? Showing appreciation to others communicates respect. Saying thank you. You could come to church looking to see how many people you could say thank you to for the work they do, just for being here, for being who they are. Um, It's a lot of fun. It's fun to see somebody's face light up a little bit at some appreciation. This is how we take delight in showing respect to each other. It's a powerful thing. It's transformational. This is why the scriptures teach us. If we're going to have a supportive environment that helps build others up, then we're going to support each other. And these are the ways that we do it. Most of the instructions that we've looked at today are directives to us as to how to create a positive environment, an affirming environment. A lot of people feel like it might seem a little fluffy, right? Okay, this isn't very realistic. Come on, you can't run around just telling everybody how great they are and appreciating everybody. There's work to do. You got to correct people. Sometimes they do the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Here's the truth, though. If anybody has an environment 
whether it's a business, an organization, whatever it is, where people want to be a part of it. Every time, it is positive, it's affirming, it's encouraging. And that's the kind of environment we need. I know that you came in here today having had a battle with sin, with difficulty this week, probably a little discouraged, probably feeling a little beat up, okay? And so some encouragement is going to go a long ways. Now we need admonition, we need correction, we need challenges. Yeah, we got to grow. That's what we talked about last week. But we don't grow without an environment that is building us up. The last thing we want to look at today, the last principle in these passages on one another and how we're supposed to build an environment of support is we deal with an important issue. What do I do when I am encouraging to someone else? I'm trying to lift them up and they don't respond in like manner. (laughs) They say something negative or harsh or respond in a way that's offensive. What do I do? Well, the scriptures teach us even the answer to that, which is that we make allowances for each other. Colossians chapter 3 speaks to this, starting in verse 12. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Just write those on your mirror uh, every morning so that you see them and try to work on those. Next, he goes on to make allowances for each other's faults. And forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must also forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Not the anxiety that comes from the world, right? Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, You are called to live in peace and always be thankful. How do we deal with the reality that at times I'll let you down? I'll not respond the way that I should have. Where my sin nature will get in front of me. And in spite of the fact that I don't want that to be the case, I may lead with that. I may respond in a way that's offensive and hurtful. Yes, the entirety of the scriptures calls us to higher living. It says, hey, follow Jesus, sin less, be holy more. Move that direction. There's no excuse for living in sin. Don't tolerate it in your life. And yet we have instructions here for the times when I have faults and failings, and you do too. A good way to make sure that you're quick to overlook the faults of others is to remember that you have some faults as well. If you feel that you have no faults, that makes another one. We're supposed to be prepared for faults in others. We're supposed to be prepared ahead of time. And I know the more time we spend together, the more we're together, we can grow a little more irritable with each other. There's a saying, familiarity breeds contempt. Maybe you've heard that. And so we can grow more aware of each other's faults and feelings. And yet what we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus is be able to overlook those, show each other mercy, right, and love, and continue to press on, not having the environment of support that we're called to create be thrown off because of the fact that I am still struggling with my sin nature, and you might be also. The way that we combat the negativity 
that occurs when we're offended, when we hurt one another, is that we overlook it. It's interesting, this is called out in uh, the Old Testament as well. Micah 6.8 says to do justly, in other words, do right towards others. Show mercy or love mercy when others do wrong to you. Love letting them off the hook. Love giving them another chance. And then walk humbly with your God. It's all throughout the scriptures. We're called to be a people who do what's right to others and who allow others to have faults, to offend us, right? And not stay offended, but allow them off the hook. Developing in these areas will create an environment of support um, I love the way Pastor Scott, who used to pastor here years ago, calls, uh, refers to churches that have this kind of environment. He calls them life-giving churches. I know that Mitchell Breen is a life-giving church. I hear people talk about it all the time. People that come in here uh, for the first time or they're fairly new and they talk about how they just feel loved on, how there's so many people that greet them and welcome them. I'm sure maybe we've scared a few people away because of that. But I'd rather have them go saying, that church is too friendly, you know, that nobody noticed I was here, right? And so I know we have that kind of church, that kind of environment. I want to affirm you in that. We do support each other. We try to love on each other and overlook the faults in each other and see the value that God places on us. Let's continue to grow. Let's be the greatest at having a supportive environment where we can encourage each other in our walk with Jesus. God, thank you so much for your call on our lives. And thank you for creating the church. It has bumps and bruises and pimples and, and problems. But Jesus, it's your body. It's your movement, your work on earth. It's the place where you are active. I pray you'd help us as we battle with the many different issues we have in our lives, that we would continue to move in the direction you've called us to, to be a church that creates an environment of support where we support one another because you have called us to, because you're filling our lives with love and encouragement. Thank you that we get a chance to give that away to others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.